Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I am the Bull, and this is See the Bullski, the podcast where I talk about leadership, followership, resiliency, and wellness. If you tuned into my last session, I talked about logical fallacies, so if you haven't checked that one out, please do. This week, I have another topic at special request from Jason, and it's about morale. So I have a question. Have you ever walked into a new work center that had low morale? What were your thoughts or reactions? Were you worried? Did it automatically mess with your morale just knowing the environment was in kind of a negative headspace? And I remember a few times that I went into a new place with low morale and I felt that way. And, you know, I'm here to tell you that there are ways to work around and counteract that kind of environment. And from a leadership perspective, you know, sometimes you will inherit, um, you know, let's say a broken team. And it might be up to you as the new leader in that position to you know, try your hand at correcting the environment for the betterment of the entire team. Or maybe your team's morale has just decreased over time and now you realize it needs to be addressed but maybe you don't know what to do. So to help you with your endeavors, I'm going to share my 10 tips for leaders on how to boost morale. As usual, I wanna focus on what we mean by morale. So morale is defined as the confidence, enthusiasm, and discipline of a person or group at a particular time. Morale is a key aspect for any team to function effectively. Having morale helps you focus on tasks, give you a, gives you a sense of purpose or fulfillment, and it really can make a difference when times are tough. No work center is going to be without its struggles, but morale is kind of like resiliency in that having morale can help you shoulder the burdens during those tough times, and it does help you get back to neutral, if not a happier space. No one should wake up dreading to go to work, but sometimes it does happen, but it shouldn't stay around. When it does happen, it ultimately will fall on the leader to correct what needs to be corrected to help build or rebuild the morale to, you know, they want to create that environment that someone wants to invest themselves into to maintain that environment. So the better you take care of your people, the better your people take care of you and everybody cultivates in the environment. One of the problems that I've seen is that a new leader leader might come in, they see that morale is low and they find out it's because of problems that have existed for a while, or, you know, maybe it's stuck because people just think it can't be fixed overnight. So people don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. And in order to keep productivity going, they end up ignoring the problems or you know they don't even try to fix it or minimally try to fix it or worse they say they're going to fix it and then they don't even try the other side is when morale drops under a leader's watch and they don't know what to do or they just refuse to acknowledge that there actually is a problem sometimes because they're about to leave the area they're going to leave quit retire move on whatever uh, and this sets a really horrible precedent for the team as a whole, while also setting up the new leader, you know, the replacement for failure, because the team may think that the next leader is going to be just like the one that just left that didn't even try to fix the problem. So here's something to remember when it comes to problem folks. They likely did not come about overnight, so it's unlikely they're gonna go away overnight. Consistency and constancy are key in my opinion. And with that, here are my 10 tips for any leader to help boost morale. Let's get into it. Number one, you gotta isolate the extent of the problem and try to find the cause of low morale. You can't fix a problem if you don't have information. You know, teams are comprised of people, so it could be that one person is hurting the team. I'm not saying they're doing it maliciously, but it could be that one person's negativity is affecting the whole team. Low morale could also be the result of systemic issues the whole team is subjective to. But if you don't find out which is which, you know, which one is, is the uh, case, then you can't even begin to fix the problem. 
I think all the other tips kind of build off of this one. So, you know, you have to find out what the cause is before you can create a solution. In some cases, this means learning the history of the work center, learning about your team and, you know, the history of the problems. Sometimes as a leader, you might inherit a fractured team and your first step should be working to reorient the team dynamics. You can't just say, I'm the new guy and the, the old problems no longer exist because I'm here, get on my page. Your people are likely not just gonna be able to control all delete the concerns because you said so. And if you even try to do that, what you're basically telling the new team is that you don't care about their past, you're only concerned with your future. And this is a common theme when it comes to morale and that is your people need to know that you care through your actions. Number two, get your mind right you know what i mean is as a leader you need to have a good attitude you know can you feel it do you know what i'm gonna say here it comes ready role model seriously as a leader your attitude is more infectious than anyone else's on the team and it should be because as a leader you set the tempo your entire team needs you to lead them and that also means that the attitude you come in with is the standard or expectation for the team who wants to be the happy person in work when the boss is walking around upset? I'm not saying going to work, you know, being manic and being deliriously happy, but you know, come in each day with a good positive attitude. Come in happy to see your people, see your team, say good morning, ask about their evenings, what are their plans for the weekend? Make your people a priority in your mind and let them see you as a beacon of positivity that lets them know everything is gonna be all right. Come in with the humility and appreciation that you are responsible for, but also to the team. Always keep in mind the fact that you need to do more than expect people's blind obedience. You have to prove to your team that you're worthy of their followership. You want people to have good morale? Then give them a reason to have it, and you start by having it yourself. One of the things I used to tell my people when things were getting stressful is that if I'm not stressing, then I don't want them to stress. And I really think they appreciated that because I was acknowledging their feelings, but I was also letting them know that it was okay to breathe. And why did I do this? Well, it's very simple. My attitude about the situation was that I trust and know my team and I know what they can do and what they can't do. I also know that them stressing compromises their effectiveness and it ultimately hurts the job getting done correctly, effectively, and efficiently. So I need them to see that I'm not stressing so that they don't stress. And that I am also here to help relieve that stress with them, for them, whatever. Number three, know your peeps. You gotta know your people. If you only care about your people in regard to what they can do and give you during the workday, they're not really gonna trust you because all they see is your authority and not the person underneath because you're showing them that all that matters to you is the worker and not the person. I'm not saying you gotta dig in the weeds and you definitely don't, you know, don't try to force people to open up to you, but you don't have to force it if you just talk to your people regularly about more than just work. What do they like to do? What are their interests? How are their families? What are their goals? What do they have on their plate and what are they stressing about? Ask them if they need assistance setting priorities or if they need help rebalancing tasks. You know, sometimes that might even mean taking things off their plate and doing it yourself. You know, leaders, I get it, we're busy, but sometimes taking the time to help your folks with their tasks will help give them the break they need before they break down, because if they break down, it just puts a heavier burden on the rest of the team. So, you know, you wanna stay ahead of the curve. You wanna keep your thumb on the pulse of your people. It's a must, you gotta do it. Getting to know your people also allows you to balance capabilities within the team, resulting in cross development and better teamwork. Everyone has different strengths, 
But part of being a leader is developing those strengths in an individual while also creating opportunities for peers to teach each other so everyone can become well-rounded as a team. Also important is just knowing your people's personalities so that you can anticipate not only how to communicate with them more effectively, but also how to facilitate the environment for them to work better with each other. Some leaders will try to force their team to conform to them because they are the leader and they're in charge. And I admit I made this mistake myself, but I can tell you wholeheartedly that the second I stopped trying to do that and I became more flexible and tried to meet my people where they were at, I got massively more effective. Sometimes you can't do that and it needs to be your way as a leader. Like sometimes that's just the way the dice roll. But if you only operate in that fashion, your people will close off to you and you will not only ruin the relationship with and among your people, you're actually shouldering more than you need to as a leader, which risks your own burnout because you have created a bottleneck where everything has to go through you. And since your people feel like they don't matter, it becomes a very micromanager type environment. Another important aspect as well is the open door policy. A lot of leaders use this term and unfortunately it's become a catchphrase with no real value because leaders forgot one teensy weensy part of the equation. You gotta show people where your door is. And what I mean by that is leaders can say the holy words, open door policy, but you also have to make yourself available, right? You gotta be a part of the team. Because if you don't and you just hide in your office like some troll under the bridge who only comes out when there's a problem, your people end up only seeing you when there's trouble. And then they only know you as a negative entity that they associate with avoidance. So you have to take the time and energy to know your people by getting out of your office. Doing so allows them to get to know you and you can also show them where your office is because you've shown them what kind of person you are. Number four. Accountability is key. Oh my gosh, I don't know how many times I've brought up this topic, but it's really important, so I'm gonna keep doing it. Hold your people accountable. You cannot be more concerned with being liked than by setting and upholding standards. People see when someone is getting away with stuff and they remember it, especially when they make the same decisions and then they are the ones that get punished. Nothing will erode morale faster than the reality or perception of preferential treatment. I know some leaders who have no problem holding people on the ground floor accountable, but they won't even look at supervisors who are doing the same thing. Your people also see that and it destroys the trust in the environment. One of my mantras is hold everyone to the same standard, but you can account for individual circumstances. Basically, I try to put everybody on the same level regardless of age, rank, experience, whatever. And you know, before I take any action, I wanna have all the facts so that I can make an informed decision. You might think this sounds like favoritism, but I don't agree and here's why. I will use the same approach for everyone. And by doing it consistently to and for everyone, those that I've led learn to trust me and my decisions, which improve the morale. Because I had a standard, but if there was a deviation, I wanted to know what was individually going on so that I could make an individual response. I'm still holding people to the standard, but I'm, I'm accounting for variables. You know, I'm not gonna say that it's always perfect, but more times than not, it does work out. Accountability is a very common root cause for low morale. And in my experience, it frequently comes from this fear from leaders that if they hold somebody accountable, that one person's gonna be upset and then they're gonna take that toxicity and create more problems in the work center. Have I seen this happen? Yeah, sure, but guess what? That's a second issue with that individual and you gotta address that as needed. If on the other hand, you don't hold that person accountable, your entire team will see it and then the entire team will have a problem. See, see the issue? 
by trying to circumvent one situation, you ended up creating 10 more. Now, some people can't handle corrective feedback, but that, you know, that in itself is a problem and you can't allow one person's inappropriate behaviors and their unwillingness to comply with expectations to jeopardize the entire team. In some cases, the person in question has rank, authority, tenure, blah, blah, blah. And the concern is that if you hold them accountable, that they're going to quit or leave. And here's my answer to that, unequivocally. Bye. Seriously, bye. It is not worth keeping that one toxic person that refuses to comply and that refuses to engage appropriately when weighed against the entire team. But some leaders cannot accept that risk because they are more concerned with how it will make them look to higher ups. So they instead turn a blind eye, don't act, and then the entire team sees it and bam, morale is gone. If on the other hand, you set the standard, you hold the line, you make the hard calls, you account for individual variables, morale will ultimately improve because everyone feels like they're in a fair and just place. If you are consistent and persistent, when you then you have nothing to fear. Also, own your mistakes. Very simple concept, folks. As a leader, as that role model, how you handle mistakes is key. And your people need to know that mistakes are going to happen, even from those in charge, and that when they happen, it's going to be okay. There is a big difference between a mistake and just not caring. And even if somebody doesn't care, I would suggest finding out why and handling it respectfully. Flying off the handlebars really doesn't help anybody and it just serves to dehumanize and depreciate the value your people have for themselves. I'm not saying ignore the mistake, but instead work with them to create an environment that respects people as imperfect and creates a culture of support to correcting the situations altogether. Number five, using that same line of logic. Number five, set realistic expectations. Another key area of concern when it comes to morale is burnout. This is a kind of the flip side of knowing your people and it encompasses the awareness of what needs to be done with what can realistically be done with what you currently have. Some leaders are more concerned ticking off a checkbox of tasks that, you know, they're so concerned with that that they fail to realize their people are drowning just trying to keep up. One of the main culprits here is lack of ownership, strangely enough. The overall evaluation of work centers falls on leaders, right? And it should. But what can happen is the leader makes the decisions, but they're not the ones that have to execute the actions associated with those decisions. And they end up being so disconnected from you know, what everyone is doing or the limitations that exist that they just keep burying their people under more and more work. And to top it off, when they, you know, when their people can't keep up, they immediately blame their people instead of taking the time to realize that they, as the leader, might have caused the problem. Now, in some cases in occupations, there is an inherent demand that you know times will occur when the team needs to push beyond their limits but you cannot live that way it's not possible there is definitely a time and place for something that's called surge operations but you can't live that way and the longer you force it the more damage you create and the longer the time is needed to recover you have to know and respect the limitations of your people of your team because if you don't you're ultimately going to get less and less done because people, you know, the, the, they end up doing only what they need to to survive rather than contributing to the team so it can flourish. Number six, stop the participation trophies. This isn't even my opinion. They've done studies to show how damaging participation trophies can be, but I'm going to add my own take. When it comes to recognition, do it fairly and appropriately. Some organizations have routine recognition processes, and those aren't necessarily a bad thing, but they become just a rotation of handouts. You know, they can do more harm than good. 
I had a conversation with a supervisor of mine some years back and we talked about this and their perspective was that if person A got recognized this month, then person B would get recognized next month without any consideration of how person B performed. So basically they just rotated who got recognized. Now you might be thinking this isn't a bad idea, but what is missing is the individual performances and the impact of the team seeing recognition just given out rather than earned. If you go in this direction, why should anyone strive to earn the recognition when they know they're just gonna get it anyway? The idea behind this approach seems to be that everybody is busting their tail, so everybody's deserving. But I'm sorry, that is not always the case. Recognition and award should go to those who are going above and beyond with the idea that the most deserving are those who will get recognized. My caveat to this is, you gotta take into account individual performances. And what I mean by that is, in some cases, you'll have somebody who's just better at a particular job, work center, whatever. But you balance that out with those that are actively trying to get better. You know, effort does matter. Remember, as a leader, you should have an awareness of everybody's skills, their strengths, their experiences, etc., etc. And you wanna be providing feedback, support, and coaching them so that they can get better. So if I have person A who, let's just say that they're a beast and they're, they're just killing it, yes, I wanna recognize them and I'm probably gonna do so as a priority. But if person B is struggling but they're trying and they're showing progress, they also deserve recognition. If on the other hand, person A is hoofing it and person B doesn't care, then person A should be the one who gets recognized and B should know why they're not getting recognized through feedback. Feedback is fundamental. Oh my gosh, it is so crucial. But what can happen when a leader just rotates is that person A ends up losing all drive to try because what's the point? If the people around them are gonna get recognized the same as them without even caring, then why should they care? I know some leaders won't agree with me on this and that's fine, but I've seen it happen over and over again. And eventually the awards don't mean enough to person A for them to keep busting their hump. They lose all motivation and then their morale is crippled because they no longer see or feel like their contributions matter. Again, the key to fair and equitable recognition is feedback. And that means taking the time to have consistent awareness of how people under your charge are performing and whether you're providing them with an incentive to grow. By recognizing everyone regardless of their contribution, you're basically saying everybody is special. So that means nobody's actually special. The awards end up meaning less and less and it can end up being embarrassing for the undeserving person and it can end up breeding resentment amongst your team when they see that the underdeserving person is getting recognized. This can be one of the trickiest parts of leadership, but it's an investment, right? Up front, not a whole lot, but it can have far-reaching impacts in terms of overall and individual performance along with individual and team morale. One last note here, um, it ties into knowing your people. Um, no hired people like to be recognized, right? Pizza parties should not be the go-to. It can work, but that only happens if the team already has good morale and you know they get something out of that downtime of just connecting with each other. Uh, often morale days don't always work because too often what happens is the work demands aren't dealt with. So either more work is done before the down day or more work is done after the down day to you know make sure that same level of work is getting done. So it completely neglects, neglects the event. You know, you gotta recognize your people with the things that excite them. If it's not awards, it can be things like downtime, cutting them out early, longer lunch break, whatever limitations your work area has. Even sometimes just saying thank you can be enough. Just find the way, know your people, get to know them and let them know that you appreciate them genuinely. All right, number seven, don't let problems linger. 
Whether it's interpersonal drama or a busy schedule, miscommunication, shortfalls, whatever, you cannot let problems go unaddressed. Very simply put, and as I said, I've said it before, leaders control the ops tempo. And one of the elements in ops tempo is conflict management. An unresolved conflict eats at morale because energy is diverted to the conflict at the expense of teamwork. When problems arise, you need to know about them and address them promptly. The longer you don't, the longer it's weighing on your people. And after some time, they can become concerned that leadership just doesn't care, which further eats up morale. Uh, you also don't have to have an answer right away. And sometimes it actually is beneficial to take time and to decide on what the best course of action is. But at least bring attention to your people and let them know that you're tracking the situation. When it comes to interpersonal issues, you also don't have to jump right in and always mediate it. You do gotta monitor the situation and make a call on when to get involved, but some cases, you know, that'll mean taking charge and directing the parties on your expectations. More often though, the leaders will actually just act as a mediator and let the parties involved to hash it out with some with the actor, I'm sorry, with the leader acting as a neutral um, participant, right? Best case, they work it out by themselves, but again, sometimes emotions run high and mediation is necessary. Another aspect of this is when decisions from outside the immediate work center are forced on the team and it causes some struggles. Now the direct leader needs to either support their higher ups by mentoring, coaching, and explaining the decision to get buy-in from their people, or in some cases, the direct leader needs to take the concerns from their people and be an advocate to the higher ups, which is also a form of followership. So crucial part, you know, my advice here is to humble yourself and consider it a teaching opportunity for you to learn how to better manage conflict, right? Especially if you don't know what to do, get a mentor, talk to your mentor, talk to your supervisor, and you know, you may not always feel the best, right, the, the best prepared to handle conflict, but it does need to be handled expeditiously. Number eight, fight for your people. And I've spoken about this before, I'm not talking about knuckles, um, different kind of fight, right? Uh, in the context of morale, you know, morale is a feeling that results from being a part of a team. And a team is defined as coming together to achieve a common goal. Now on every team, there are multiple positions and responsibilities. And what makes that group a team is the trust that all players have in, in each other that everyone is going to do their part. And if everybody works together, then there's a greater chance of success, right? It makes sense. As a leader, you act as a constant but flexible instrument to your team's needs. You are both the sword and the shield, and you are there to safeguard them and take care of them and help direct them because you have the rank, title, position, experience, and authority to speak on their behalf. If a customer is yelling at one of your people, let's say you work in customer service, step up and engage with the disgruntled person. Don't just hide and let your subordinate take it. If you step up and show your people how to handle the situation, role modeling, you know, that's, that's what it is. If decisions are coming down from on high and your people come to you with their concerns, you may be able to discuss and rationalize a way forward. Sure, maybe you just need to translate it, right? But if not, and you see validity in their concerns, then you owe it to your people by virtue of your authority to be their leader and be their advocate. That is your place on the team. And if you neglect that responsibility, then they're trusting you can falter and then their morale is impacted. It may not be fun for you to go to your higher ups you know, on behalf of your people, but if you're not gonna do it, who else is? Right? If you're more concerned with protecting your perception, rank, position, status, whatever, I promise you, your people will see that and they will stop coming to you. They will likely turtle up 
They'll keep you out, and they're going to do just enough not to get in trouble. They're not going to support each other as much, and ultimately, you're kind of you're going to kind of be the cause for the failed productivity and ruined teamwork because you weren't there for your people. Number nine, be aware of your reactions. As a leader, it's vital your people see you handling the rapid waters of chaos without panic in your eyes. When the world's going nuts, your people should be able to look to you for stability and resolution. Now, I want to stop for a second because I need to acknowledge something. That I, me, the bull, am prone to, let's let's say, getting passionate. All right, And yes, my people have seen me get passionate. And I would like to explain why and what my intended result was. So for any of my former subordinates, just give me a second, let me explain, because I do get fired up. There were plenty of times when things went sideways, right? Questionable decisions were made, shall we say, whatever. And I would get passionate in the moment, and sometimes I would let my team see me that way, and sometimes I didn't. I can say with full sincerity that the times that I allowed it to be seen, it was because I knew my team was upset and I agreed with them. And I wanted them to know that we were in this together. The reality is sometimes life sucks and you can't do anything about it other than vent. So by my controlled venting with and among my team, it allowed them to vent because they got to see that I was getting it out of my system so they would vent with me so that we could move forward together. Few things can hurt morale like a team having a collective issue and the leader being completely oblivious of it. Quite a few times my team, after hearing me open the door to venting frustration, they would end up joining me. And I would just monitor the output, kind of like watching a boiling kettle. Sometimes you gotta let the steam out and I would rather my team do it with me than without me to prevent it from boiling over into toxic levels, right? The other reason I did it was to use my passion as a source of comedy to provide levity of the situation. I would intentionally um, you know, get irritated and, and, and animated just to make my team laugh. And for some people, people like to see me get spun up because they think it's funny. But hey, if it makes you laugh and it helps de-escalate the situation and allows us to move forward together, fine, I have no problem doing that. You know, gotta remember people have this inherent negativity bias. I've talked about it before during my resiliency recording, uh, but we're hardwired to see bad because bad means threat and threat means need to react. When it comes to morale, you have to be careful how you react because no one wants to have negative energy redirected at them, especially when it isn't their fault. So you know, to keep that morale up as a leader, you got to be aware of how you handle situations because if the top becomes top- toxic, it often seeps into the fabric of the whole team. Number 10. This is probably one of the most important ones. You know, they're all important. There's more than 10, but this is probably one of the most important ones. So I hope you're still listening. Find ways to have fun. Seriously, take time when you're able, or more importantly, as a leader, make time for your people to have fun. Some leaders avoid fun because there's some idea that fun means unprofessional, but that isn't true at all. You can absolutely have fun, but it must be in good taste. So for example, don't have fun at someone else's expense. Make sure that when you're having fun, you're including everyone, and that includes you as the leader. Be a part of the team, and in some cases, that means you need to be the one to instigate the fun to let your people know that it's okay to breathe and connect. We all need to be able to disengage from work because being hyper-focused takes a lot of energy. It's not sustainable. So as a leader, keep track of your team and bring some smiles and fun into work for the betterment of everybody. Hazing is not what I'm talking about, but developing a good relationship you know, to have something, something like playful banter with each other. One of my youngest troops, and I get uh, 
uh, we, we get into this ongoing joke. And if she's listening, she's going to know this is her the second I say it. Uh, we, we debate um, who is the bigger brat, me or her. And we've been doing it for a few years now. And just to be clear, she is absolutely the bigger brat. So if you're listening, gotcha. Boom. But anyway, you can do a lot of different things, but it will kind of depend on the team dynamics and the individuals and the work center. So if you don't know what to do, try some different approaches or just talk to your team and see what they think would make work a bit more fun and less, you know, just bleh. I don't know what bleh, you know, negative. So anyway, you know, morale is massively important. It's tried to better it's tied to better teamwork because it fosters trust, empathy, compassion, communication, and it overall just makes life better for everyone in the work center, for the entire team. But it isn't something that you can ignore for long periods of time and then expect to fix overnight. It takes consistent, persistent effort and attention to cultivate, but it really is worth it and everyone plays a part. And even what I covered today is you know, largely targeted at leaders. Just keep in mind, anyone can start the change by bringing a little light to a cloudy day by coming in with just a good attitude and wanting to make things better for those around them. So as always, thank you so much for listening. That is my list of 10, 10, 10 tips to help morale. Got tongue tied, sorry. Um, I didn't want to make this an hour long, so you know this is already longer than I thought it would be. So again, thank you, Jason, who sent me this topic request. I hope you liked it. And if you have a topic that you want me to cover or something you want to add to my list or your thoughts or feelings about my list in general, please check me out on Twitter. Drop me a follow. You can find me at the letter C underscore the underscore bull underscore ski. And hopefully this increased your morale as we head into another week. And I want to leave you with just some words of encouragement. Boats don't sink because of the water around them. They sink because of the water that gets inside them. So I hope you go forward not letting that water sink your ship. And with that, again, thank you so much for listening, and I will check you out next time.